Well, now that we have Thanksgiving behind us, we can finally focus on the big birthday that's ahead of us in the Barrow House. Her name is Charlotte. She turns five this year or next year, technically. Uh, she's a, a New Year's baby. Um, and uh, we love every year telling uh, telling the story of how that came to be. It's actually one of the things we love to do for all of our kids is uh, tell, them, tell them the story of how they came into the world. They they have much delight when we do, and uh, I relish in the opportunity to embellish uh, those stories every year, a little bit bigger as we go. Uh, Charlotte wasn't actually due until uh, January the 7th, but we thought we'd try to sneak her in under the wire. And so on New Year's Eve, while uh, all of our friends were out partying without us, uh, we went to the hospital to bring forth life, and they went to my house to eat my brisket. Uh, that's basically how that went down. They sent some really lovely pictures, which was awesome. I took a lovely picture, which was awesome. Uh, in between contractions, uh, the ball uh, dropped, uh, in, you know, in New York, and I made Chambliss take a picture of me. It took me about 20 seconds uh, to convince her to do that. Uh, so it's actually, it's not a picture at midnight. It's a picture at midnight and 20 seconds, but who's counting? Uh, and that's where we spent the night. Um, six hours and 45 minutes later, uh, Charlotte was born. She came into the world seven days early and six hours and 45 minutes too late. I like to make that joke every year. She cannot appreciate it because she doesn't have to pay taxes, but one day she will. And it's just going to be a, it's going to be a slow build until then, but I'm going to hold it against her uh, for, for a while. We love to tell stories uh, to our kids on their, their birthdays about how they came to be. Um, those stories, they have power, right, to shape and form um, who they are, how they understand themselves and, you know, how much they know uh, that they are loved. Um, interestingly enough, those stories often give way to other stories, not just stories of how they came to be, uh, but stories of how those who came before them came to be. Uh, you know, it's uh, always an interesting thing how those get held together. Uh, we were going to baptize uh, Charlotte pretty early on, but we I moved churches that year. We moved to Fuquay uh, that summer. So we just kind of put it off until we got our feet settled here. We had penciled it in uh, for March of 2020. <laughs> uh, so about a year after that, uh, when we were back worshiping in person, uh, we had a chance to, to celebrate uh, at our 1115 worship service with some of our uh, dearest and closest friends. And sitting in the congregation was a person that up until that point, I only knew of as Margaret. Uh, but now she's a cousin Margaret uh, because she noticed that Charlotte's middle name was Aiken, spelled the correct way, uh, and that uh, she too spelled it the correct way. Uh, it was her mother's maiden name. And so she wondered if there was some connection there. And sure enough, uh, we have some common ancestry not too far up the old family tree. And so we had a chance uh, to get together and hang out and swap stories and genealogies and uh, over a bowl of hummus to look at lots of pictures of gravestones, which is apparently what we do now in our older age. Uh, and uh, they had a chance to talk to my granddad, who just turned 99 this year, and uh, share stories of people that he knew in real life that we only had read about uh, in history books, right? So uh, it's fun, these stories, right? These stories, uh, how we came to be and those uh, who came before us, uh, we call them our roots. And these stories, they have, they have a power about them, right, to give us our identity. Some of the stories that we tell uh, are inspiring. Uh, some of the stories that we tell are embarrassing. Uh, but they're all a part of telling us kind of who and whose we are. Right? They shape and they form us. They give us a, a place, a place in the world. Well, we tell the story of another birthday uh, also, if you were thinking about it, uh, coming up at the end of December. We call that birthday you know, Christmas, it's Jesus's birthday. And we tell the story of how he came to be. We tell his birth story. Uh, but we don't just tell the story of how he came to be. We tell the story of all those 
who were a part of his family before him, right? We have a chance through faith, not just to read this as Jesus's story or the story that Jesus is rooted in, but to recognize that through faith, this story is our story too. We can be rooted in Jesus's story and recognize that we're rooted in a story deeper still because of the story that Jesus is a part of, the, the story of God's great uh, sort of unfolding and unfurling of God's salvation across uh, time and space. And so we want to spend some time not just telling those stories over the next few weeks, uh, but inviting us to consider what it means that we are rooted in those stories. So I want to ask you a question. What are you rooted in? What stories do you find yourself rooted in? Jesus is rooted in a bigger story, and if he is, then so are we. A story that roots us in the promise of God's presence and God's provision. We'll talk about that today. A story that roots us in hope, the prophets sang about, of God's rescue and redemption. Roots us in a story of love, the love of God, covenant that God made with God's people all throughout time, but specifically the love that we see in the work and the person of uh, Jesus Christ, whose birth we, we celebrate and sing about. What are you rooted in? What story? This isn't, I think, just a theological excursus for us. Uh, I actually believe that this has real power uh, to shape and form who we are and how we like live and move and work, how we respond in the world that we're in. Uh, Paul, who is a writer in the New Testament, a pastor in the early church, I think he kind of makes the same claim. Uh, he's writing to some of his friends in a town called Ephesus, and in chapter 3 of his letter, he prays for them. Uh, the beginning of his prayer says, For this reason, I bow my knees, right, in prayer, before the Father, so he's naming God as parent, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name, right? This is a roots-rooted prayer that he's praying. And then he kind of doubles down on that a few sentences later. He says that basically through the power of the Holy Spirit, may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Paul is talking to a group of people who uh, don't belong together, right? They're, they're not from the same family, if you will. And he's telling them, listen, we're all a part of the same spiritual family tree. And we've got to be rooted in that if we're going to weather all the challenges that we're pushing and pulling, uh, you know, threatening to rip this community apart. He says, we got to remain rooted and grounded in the love of God, the love of God in Christ Jesus that teaches us how to live together uh, as one, as one. So if we just like pull that metaphor for a second, when we, you know, are pulling roots or pulling uh, weeds and stuff out of our yard, you say you got to pull it up by the roots because roots have this incredible power uh, to hold us fast and to give us the sustenance that we need. Uh, so if you want to get rid of something, you got to pull it up by the roots. And Paul's like, listen, the world is threatening to pull us up by the roots. So we've got to be rooted in something deeper and stronger than the things we've been rooting ourselves in. Think of a tree, you know, when the wind comes and pushes against it uh, during hurricanes and storms like that, uh, it gets uprooted, right? If its roots are not strong enough, it has nothing to hold it fast. Paul is saying we need something to hold us fast as we get pushed and pulled against in the world around us. Paul is inviting them to root themselves in Jesus's story, a story that is rooted deeper still, like deeper than the nativity. And I think that that same invitation can be made for us today. What does it mean? What does it mean? that we are rooted in a larger story? What does it mean that we're a part of this huge spiritual family tree? It means that there are a lot of people in the world around us who look, act, live very differently than we do. 
Uh, it is a crazy family, but it is a family to which we belong. We are connect connected to amazing people who are nothing like us. That's what it means. It means that we can have a richer and fuller identity, a richer and fuller identity that we can comprehend or imagine. It means that we're a part of a family that's got a job to do, right? We're a part of the family that's been passing down this promise with a purpose for thousands of years. That's what Paul was saying to his folks, that's the work that we're going to do over the course of the next few weeks. And we're going to start that work today by looking at one of our common ancestors, one of our earliest, all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. It's the story of Sarah and Abraham. Um, they, uh, they are a story that I believe roots us in a promise. Not a promise that they made, but a promise that God made to them and through them to us. It says in the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, who would become Abraham a little bit later on, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you may be a blessing. And a little bit later on, doubles down on that and says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I, I'd love to spend a ton of time talking about their story, but it is a long one. So I want to hit some, some highlights here. We just, we first see God making a promise, a promise to be with presence and a promise to protect and to provide, right? Um, and this presence and provision is a promise uh, that God makes not just to Abraham and Sarah, but to their entire lineage uh, that will be told for the rest of the Old Testament and is fulfilled in the New Testament, right? In the work and the person of Jesus. Um, the first thing that stands out to me that like, I want to find myself rooted in in their story uh, is God's invitation for them to leave his Abraham's father's house, which means that he had to leave behind um, the father's way of life. Um, his dad and family lineage has seen floods cover the entire world has seen uh, nations scattered from the Tower of Babel. A lot has been called into question over the last few years. The father is on a journey away from their homeland, right? Sent out as a part of all the things that have come before. But even though they're moving in the direction of the land to which God is going to show them, there's this sense that like the second stage of a rocket, uh, Abraham and Sarah need to leave their father's house and head off on a different uh, trajectory. That means leaving the father's way of life, the father's idols behind. We talk about idols in lots of different ways, but think about it this way. For Abraham and Sarah, their father's idols were the way by which they believed they could access rain in the dry season. And fertility, not just for them, but for their flocks and their fields. It was leaving a lot behind. It was putting a lot of faith and trust in the word from the Lord that came to them. Uh, that they would be with God and that God would protect and provide for them. It's a lot of trust that exists. It's an inspiring amount of trust. God also promises them a lineage. I will make of you a great nation, God says. And this lineage sets off thousands of years of history that they will never have a chance to see fully fulfilled. Um, and they doubt, they doubt that promise, because up until this point, Sarah and Abraham haven't been able to have children together. This feels in some ways like a cruel promise to make folks who have been trying so hard and unable. And yet we see in their story that God makes good on God's promise to them. But before God does, they rushed, recklessly rushed at the will of God. They tried to take matters into their own hands. Uh, and when they did, they specifically participated in the type of evil 
that through this covenant that God made with them, God was trying to cure. They chose several times in different ways to use bodies as commodities. And that is a very ugly part of their story. Like I said, like I said, sometimes the stories that we tell are inspiring, and sometimes the stories that we tell are embarrassing. And as ugly as these parts of their story and our story are, I do think they remind us that God is always at work. Um, The fact that Abraham and Sarah and the challenges that they were up against and the choices that they made did not preclude them from being a part of God's family tree uh, is good news to people like me because I would like to believe I have some inspirational parts of my own story, uh, but I also know I got some some embarrassing ones. Uh, And if there's room enough in God's family tree for them, uh, it gives me uh, trust and hope that there can be room enough in God's family tree uh, for me. And in spite of their kind of infidelity, uh, we see the Lord uh, showing up with the redemptive word. It says, the Lord dealt with Sarah as God had said, and the Lord did for Sarah just as God had promised. Sarah conceived and bore a son in their old age. They were like in their 90s at the time. Abraham gave his son the name Isaac, which means laughter. Uh, earlier in the story, Abraham and Sarah heard this promise and they laughed, right? In, in a place of doubt, they laughed. Uh, and, and Sarah, now celebrating, sings, rejoices over her child and said, God has brought laughter for me, like joy for me. Everyone who hears this will laugh with me, will have joy with me. Um, I love the idea that the laughter in this story gets redeemed, that the doubt in this story gets redeemed. That if you follow the story along for the rest of Genesis, at the very end of the last chapter of their kind of uh, like earliest lineage, God fulfilling that promise to make of them a great nation. Um, their son, Isaac, his grandson, proclaims, even though you intended to do me harm, he's talking to his brothers here, even though you intended to do me harm, God has intended it for good in order to save the lives of a numerous people, just as God is doing today. I love this idea that just what we intended for evil, God intends for good. And and I say that to suggest that God redeemed even the ugly parts. And that doesn't make the ugly parts okay. It's not saying, well, because something good came out of them, they must have been fine. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that God breaks the power of those things, the power that they have over us. This story is a part of our story. It reminds us that we are rooted in the covenant promise of God to be with us and to provide for us not just for ourselves, but so that we can be a part of doing the good and beautiful work, blessing all the families of the world. It reminds me that what God intends for evil, uh, and even in moments where I doubt God remains faithful and is redemptively always using um, even the ugliest of my things for good. And it reminds me that um, my call, our call, is to be uh, actively waiting on the will of God to come forth rather than recklessly rushing our way into it and taking things Uh, into our own hands. This is just a part of the story that Jesus is rooted in. And if Jesus is rooted in this story and we're rooted rooted in Jesus' story, then this is part of our story. We become a part of this family that's been handing down this, you know, promise um, over the course of generations, this promise that kind of comes with a mission for us to, to fulfill. When we find ourselves rooted in something, uh, particularly when we're rooted in the well, even if we're rooted in the wrong things, I guess. When we find ourselves rooted in something, uh, those roots not only hold us fast, but they feed us what we need to respond when we're pressed up against. I think we need to pay attention to rooting ourselves in the right things so that we're responding in, in the right ways. What are you counting on 
to hold you fast? Like, what are you rooted in? What's rooting you? What are you counting on to hold you fast when the pressures of life comes and they kind of buffet up against you? Because what we're rooted in shapes and forms how we respond. I return to Paul's words. My prayer is that we can be rooted and grounded in love. I would like to believe that when I am rooted and grounded in love, I respond with love even when I'm pushed up against. I thought there's some other times that I don't necessarily find myself most rooted in that. And I kind of considered what else I might root myself in. I'm not saying that you do. I'm just saying this was my own list. Uh, But I'd encourage you to do the same work for yourself. If I'm rooted in my own financial security, like my own ability to provide rather than trusting in God's ability to provide, I tend to respond from a place of scarcity. When I find myself rooted in partisan politics, I tend to respond with vitriol, right? Anger in, anger out, blame in, blame out. On the flip side, when I'm rooted in community, I tend to respond with invitation to come and be a part of the thing that I'm getting a chance to experience the beauty of. This last one's kind of like a twofold thing. When I, when I find myself rooted in righteousness, like the righteousness of God, the grace of God, I tend to respond with mercy, how God responds to me. When I find myself rooted in rightness, not righteousness, but rightness. When I find myself rooted in rightness, like this belief that I understand what's best, the belief that I've got it all figured out, I tend to respond with selfish superiority. What we're rooted in shapes and forms how we respond. This is why Paul invites his folks to be rooted and grounded in love, the love of Christ. And that's an invitation that I believe is made to all of us here in seasons like Advent as we lead our way to the Christmas story. The Christmas story is an invitation for us to root ourselves in something greater and deeper still, to root ourselves in the love of Jesus. The season of Advent is also a season. It's an invitation for us to slow down and to wait to wait on the will of God rather than to recklessly rush by taking things, taking manners into our own hands, to root ourselves in the promise of God's presence and God's provision. And so these are the invitations that I'd love to make to you, not just today, uh, but in the the days and the weeks to come. And uh, to send you out into, uh, into that work, into that invitation, I'd love to pray for us, for all of us, for you, uh, the words that Paul prayed over his followers Um, And when we trust these words uh, as we pray them over ourselves, let's pray. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, God may grant that you are strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend, to understand with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of this love and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Well, it's been great to worship with you together during this time. Uh, We'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship in person or online, live on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. You can find more information about our worship times or worship with us online at fvumc.org. And while you're there, 
Uh, you can find plenty of ways to connect with us, uh, whether that's uh, connecting in for an opportunity for community around here or serving the greater Fuquay community around us. Uh, so we'd love to invite you to join us for those. Uh, if this is a resource that provides you spiritual sustenance and you'd like to partner with us in making it possible for everyone else while you're there, at the top right-hand corner, there's a button that says give, or you can go to fvumc.org slash give and make a gift there that makes the mission and ministry of this place possible. We're so thankful for everyone who partners with us uh, to do just that. Listen, it's been great. It's been great to be together with you uh, in this moment, and we look forward to worshiping again with you real soon. We'll see you then.